This is a 980 CKNW podcast. And so joining me in the studio is Mandy Shantani. She is a registered occupational therapist and gerontologist, and she is here and going to talk to us about urban polling, or you may have uh, heard of it as Nordic walking. Good evening, Mandy. Thanks for joining me in the studio. Thanks so much, Maureen. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm happy to have you here. I talked about urban polling or Nordic walking on the Jill Bennett show this morning. And uh, lo and behold, I on one, on my bike ride today, I actually ran into a couple that I knew that was actually using Nordic poles or urban poles. And uh, and then somebody else said that they'd heard me on the show talking about it and they were wondering where mine, my poles were. So um, <laughs> I'm going to test these babies out Fantastic. because... Yeah, I always thought they were only for older people or people who had gait issues or balance issues, but that's not the case. So how uh, how did you find out about Nordic walking, urban polling? You know, it really uh, came to me through my new neighbor who was from Sweden. Uh, at the time, I was actually studying healthy aging trends. I was looking at doing my master's degree in gerontology. And I asked my Swedish neighbor, what were they doing that, you know, makes the Swedes, you know, the healthiest people on the planet? And I remembered, too, when I was a teenager, like the biggest health campaign for Canadian was comparing a 70-year-old Swede who had a hard body. And I remember when I was a kid, they were comparing it to a 40-year-old Canadian with a bit of a pot belly. And I remember thinking, what are they doing over there that could account for this difference? So my neighbor explained to me that the reason why the Scandinavians are so healthy is that they're just simply walking, which in itself I found really fascinating. Uh, She said that she noticed that we always get into our vehicle and she said, but Scandinavians, they walk, you know, to the corner store to visit their friends. And, um, And she said also... We use walking poles. She said we do an activity called Nordic walking. We've kind of coined it here as urban polling uh, here in Canada. And when I looked at um, the research, there's actually over 270 studies on PubMed on the benefits. I really became intrigued. And uh, I don't, I don't want, it was an activity I thought that it was would be really popular here in Canada and would be a great solution for the average person just becoming more active. Because it's not just walking and it's not just supporting your walking, is it? Absolutely. So basically a way to describe it is, is that your upper body is doing something like similar to cross-country skiing and your lower body is just walking on urban settings such as sidewalks, parks, um, so it's it's somewhat similar to you know how you'd use poles for um, hiking or for snowshoeing, but there's just a different technique, and it's really about getting an increased cardiovascular workout. And also, it can lead to upper body upper body toning. Is that correct? Absolutely. Like we have a lot of ladies who are doing it because they you know often as as we get older we get those little wings under your arms and um, basically when you're using when you're doing Nordic walking you're using 75 to 90% of your muscles. So walking alone is fantastic, but when you're walking, it's just usually your lower extremity muscles. But when you're using the poles, it becomes a full body workout. Right. Even if you're power walking, you're not able to get that um, that 
to get that muscle use um, or isolate the muscles, the correct muscles, as you would with the poles, I would imagine. Absolutely. Like a way that people can imagine it if they're at home and want to understand how it works in terms of that upper body workout is just put your hand out as if you're giving a handshake, rest it on top of the table or a back of a chair, and then put one, put your other hand on your on your abs. And when you press down on the table or the back of chair with your with your hand, that's as if you're pushing down on the handle and what you should feel is a contraction happening in your abs. I did. Excellent. Yeah, that's amazing. My my slightly fat abs right now because I've been on vacation and eating all along the East Coast. Well, we'll change that with the urban polling. Excellent. That's why I'm interested in trying those out. Um, I'm going to ask you to stay with me in the studio because I want to talk to you about how it can be used for not only for fitness, but for weight management as well as for rehabilitation for conditions like breast cancer and pre and post hip and, and knee surgery and also how it can make your love life better. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I am in studio with Mandy Shintani. She is a registered occupational therapist and a gerontologist. She is also the owner at Urban Polling. You might know it as Nordic Walking. It's a great exercise. So we were talking a little bit before about some of the benefits um, for exercise, maybe um, you know, uh, fixing some of the sins <laughs> of my East Coast trip, um, perhaps eating too much lobster and steamers. Um, walking is the most common activity for exercise, but there are additional benefits for walking with poles, which we reviewed. But um, how can it be used for both, not only for fitness, rehabil- fitness, but also for rehabilitation and for conditions like breast cancer and pre and post hip and knee surgery, which is on the rise these days? Absolutely. Well, in terms of breast cancer, uh, there are several studies that show that um, after breast cancer, what usually affects women is that they have limited range of motion and shoulder endurance, as well as lymphedema. And so they've got a few studies that are showing that um, it increases flexibility, uh, shoulder endurance, as well as helping to manage lymphedema. And one thing that I find that is is really helpful about using the poles post breast cancer or or for breast cancer rehabilitation is that it's the same pattern as normal walking. So for example, if I were to walk for 10 minutes, I would actually be swinging my arm 500 times. So in a very short period of time, it's a highly effective way and a really easy and convenient way to be moving and mobilizing that arm. And of course, that's always helpful in terms of managing the lymphedema. Right. And you've been so generous as to uh, bring a set to give out to a listener. So if you want to win some Nordic Poles, give, give us a call. The number to call one 399 We'll take the third caller, one 399 If you want to win a set of this, uh, of these urban poles, and I'm going to try them out as well. So I, I have high hopes that it's actually going to get me in, back into better shape. Um, but what you we how can this help a person's love life? We talked about that briefly. Oh, for sure. So I'll just quickly mention about pre and post hip and knee as oh, sure. well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole idea is, what, as I mentioned before, when you press down on that ledge, you're getting the core strengthening, which is really a key part of a good recovery in terms of 
post-hip and knee uh, rehabilitation. But also when you're pressing down that base, you're also offloading. So it's anywhere from 11 to 34%. And a lot of people feel that in terms of rehabilitation, that that they feel more active. They feel like there's less stigma involved with using the poles compared to some of the devices like canes, crutches, and walkers. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. So this is a, can be a replacement for canes, crutches, and walkers? Absolutely. Wow. Usually about, you, it, it's really prescribed pre-hip and knee surgery, but about post-hip and uh, hip surgery is anywhere from about week four to eight. So talk it over first with your therapist and your surgeon, but it, uh, there's lots of benefits in terms of utilizing it um, rather than continue on with canes and walkers. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I had no idea. So in terms of your love life, I I love the question. Um, I mean, I think one of the things is as you get older, your perception of what is sexy really changes. And so the whole idea, I think, for a lot of my friends is that, um, you know, what's sexy is someone who is confident, someone who takes care of themselves physically and mentally, um, is happy. And... um, a polling offers a lot of those. There's some studies that a lot of studies that show that when you do polling, it um, increases your mood, reduces depression, uh, reduces fatigue. Uh, you get an increased cardiovascular workout, about 25% compared to walking. So of course, you know, that's good for your love life. And then again, it really focuses on your waist circumference. And I think that's where a lot of people, when they're thinking about weight management, really want to target. So hopefully if you're feeling better about yourself, that's also going to result in um, feeling better about uh, your love life. And as well, you can use a lot of the poles for doing flexibility exercises. So right, and I think you're. I think you make all those great points, and I couldn't agree with you more about um, somebody who's happy. You know, people who are exercising um, build up serotonin, and they actually have better moods. And you know, trimmer waistlines. I hear from a lot of women that they're no longer attracted to their long term partners if they've gained weight in the middle. Same goes for men as well if their uh, partners, their wives, spouses, whomever has gained a lot of weight. Um, I have Teresa on the line. Hello, Teresa from Big Valley, Alberta. Hello. Hi, how are you today? Good, thanks. How are you? Thanks for the call and uh, congratulations for winning. I am so excited. Oh, great. So what do you want to use these polls for? I actually um, have some weight to lose and I've also um, just about a month ago got diagnosed with um, uterine cancer. Oh, dear. So I am going to be going through an operation, and I thought this would probably be really good for the rehab part of it. Excellent. Speak to your doctor about that for sure. But, um, well, good luck to you, Teresa, with your surgery. Thank you so much. Yeah, and uh, we'll send these out to you. So um, you'll give your information to Andrew, the awesome tech producer here. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's great. Um, yes, that's awesome. What we were, a little bit later on in the program, I'm going to be talking about uh, what, what, what makes uh, somebody attractive to uh, other people and all those things that you named. And, and the exercise is so beneficial. And not to mention blood flow. This increases blood flow, which is great for erections and also fabulous for uh, female sexual health as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so many um, different benefits for this in so many aspects of life um, as we navigate this uh, gravel road of life, if you will. (laughs) Um, Anyway, can you do it on a gravel road? Where can people get these? 
Urban Polls. Okay. Well, if they go to our website, they can go to urbanpolling.com. They can actually find a local retailer. We're in BC, in Alberta, um, a lot of independent stores, some shoppers, drug marts, or they can buy them online as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Mandy. So I'll have you back in about a month after I use the Urban Polls in my way. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being here with me. End of summer. It was like five minutes long. Hate to see it go. But I'm delighted to have in my studio, not my studio, in the studio, Amy Mathias. She is... Uh, has a very interesting startup company providing safe rides for Aboriginal women. Amy, thanks so much for joining me in the studio tonight. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about your passion, your desire, uh, your reason for this startup, which you've you've um, actually um, raised a little bit of money um, mm-hmm. yes. already, which yes. is awesome. Um, but tell me why you have decided to provide safe rides for Aboriginal women. Um, being visibly indigenous, I've um, worked nighttime jobs and had to take transit home late at night and have been approached by men for sexual favors and stuff like that. And even taking taxis, I've had some pretty scary experiences. And once social media got like more popular to share about Indigenous issues, I realized that I wasn't alone. And even sharing with women that I've met when I um, decided to do this, everyone's just, how can I help? And they're, they've been really supportive. Right. I yeah. think uh, all women, you know, uh, Indigenous or not, you know, have faced uh, inappropriate sexual advances. Mm-hmm. And, and, yes. and many women are afraid to take taxis at night. I remember one time I landed in uh, Boston at, at Logan and I got an Uber and I was a bit nervous and they intentionally sent a female driver to me. And it, that made me feel so safe. And then I, I just kind of hired her, if you will, as my driver. Oh, <laughs> so I would awesome. text her. Yeah. And uh, so you can do that with Uber. Well, of course, we don't have there's no Uber in certain cities in Vancouver. In, in Canada, I won't mention which one. I guess I just did. But um, yeah, so it's really important that somebody feels safe, that women feel safe when they are being um, transported, uh, and especially late at night. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So how um, how did you get into this? How did you come up with this idea? And, and, and what drives you, if you will? I was looking at Facebook one day and there's a similar uh, program in Winnipeg. It's called Ikwe Safe Rides and it's started by women for exactly the same reason. And I got really inspired and I just started looking at how can I do that here in Vancouver and look to spreading into Surrey and then smaller indigenous communities around Canada as well. Just not stopping here. Right. Yeah. So uh, the reaching into Alberta and, yeah. and um, other provinces as well, which would be awesome. And so how how would it work? Um, I just incorporated and I have my two board members, Maria Rosmo and Jolene Price. So we're going to start raising money. I do have a business plan. It should cost around 60000 to run. So I do have my goals. Is that goals. annually? Yes, annually. But how actually does it work? How, um, how yes. would women uh, have access to these rides? Mm-hmm. Um, and how, you know, what's the process around it mm-hmm. as a volunteer? It will be a Facebook page and uh, women could 
post on there directly themselves. But if they don't have the ability to do that, they can go through one of the support workers at a women's organization to set up a safe ride for them. And so they can, once the drivers agreed to pick them up, they would um, exchange personal information via private messenger with a password description of the vehicle and the license plate number as well. So there's safety for both the passenger and driver. So similar to how Uber, the process of yes, Uber. Yeah. So who would be driving? I'm looking for women volunteers, anyone who identifies as a woman. And you have to be, agree to get a criminal background check and submit a driver's abstract as well. Okay. And do you have a lot of women who are willing to volunteer for this? I do have some women that That's are great. already volunteered. So it's very exciting. That's great. Yeah. If somebody's listening tonight and they want to volunteer, how would yes. they um, go about doing that? Um, I have safe rides for women at Outlook.com. Send me an email and I can let you know I have a company that's going to help with um, doing the criminal background checks. That's fantastic. Um, And so, of course, uh, sadly and horrifically, we've had the missing and murdered women uh, in Canada, the the investigations and all the reports. And, um, you know, it's it's just such a horrific thing that, you know, women are vulnerable and, um, you know, some of the behaviors of some men, um, you know, put women's lives at risk. Um, is this service something that a woman can, if she's, uh, can call, you know, at, she gets out of work at 11 o'clock and she arrange it much like an Uber could be arranged, or is it something, um, that has to be done ahead of time? I would like to have, uh, I'm not sure if I will have overnight services available right away. Mm-hmm. There, I would need drivers that would be okay doing that and checking Facebook regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be great because I wouldn't want any woman to be left out in, yeah, in, in a dark. scary situation for sure. Right. And I see the statistics and um, share whenever there is a missing woman and it's very heartbreaking and I try not to take it personally and just go at my own pace and get everything set up for safe rides. Right, right. Well, it's phenomenal work that you do. If somebody wants to contribute uh, to your uh, safe rides for Aboriginal women, um, passion, if you will, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) how can they do that? Um, Right now, I'm not set up to take donations. I do have money being held in trust until Mm -hmm. I do get set up. Mm -hmm. Um, But just send emails to uh, safe rides for women at outlook.com and I can answer any questions and find out any ways if uh, they can help if they're wanting to help out right, as well. I imagine there would be a lot of women out there who would want to help a lot of women who this resonates with mm-hmm. um, a lot of women who have experienced um, an unsavory situation in their lifetime or women who are looking for something to do mm-hmm. and you know the, one of the greatest ways to uh, if you're lonely or bored or if you have piles of money and you know a lot <laughs> of time on your hands you know I always say get up get out and help somebody else and I think this is a great way um, I call them the NTDs, the nothing to do's, they complain. (laughs) Anyway, they complain. They have nothing to do. They're so bored. But you know what? Why not get up and and help somebody else? And I think this is an awesome, um, uh, just just a phenomenal initiative um, for you to do. And I and I also think uh, it's letting people know um, out there that hey, women are going to be safe. Women are going to be protected as well. Yes, yes, it is. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Well, thank you so much, Amy Mathias, um, on this initiative, uh, Safe Rides for Aboriginal Women. I think, um, you know, the power of one, and I, I see this growing exponentially, and I, and I wish you all the best of luck.
Thank you so much for having me on your show. You're so welcome. It's awesome to know about it. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I am a registered nurse, a nurse continence advisor, which is applicable here in addition to a sexual health educator. Joining me on the line is Lexi Fay, or the Vancouver UTI girl from Canada. That's urinary tract infection girl. Good evening, Lexi. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it because this is a problem for so many women at different ages and stages of their lives. Uh, current, uh, recurrent urinary tract infections or chronic urinary tract infections and interstitial cystitis, which you blog about on your awesome blog, Vancouver UTI Girl. So thank you so much for that. Oh, thank you. So how did this all begin back in February 2018? What happened to you? Um, so it started off with just a regular urinary tract infection. And by the way, I should mention, I've had eight UTIs before this one, which all got cured with just regular, you know, one week of antibiotic. Um, but this one in February, it's a UTI that kind of responded to antibiotics, but then didn't later on, and it just kind of hung and mm. hung on to me. And then the doctors here were saying it was interstitial cystitis. They said I had no infection and go home, and they didn't have a cure or any answer for me. So I was left to fend for myself and try to figure this whole thing out. And and then where did you end up as you're trying to figure this out? Uh, the pain was so severe. It was so severe that it put me into a wheelchair, so I couldn't move. And basically, I was I was being told by urologists and infectious disease doctors in Canada that you know, this is the bladder pain syndrome. Sorry, this is your life. There's no cure. So um, I started researching online, and I came across a lot of, um, you know, forums about women with interstitial cystitis, and then I found some success stories. And uh, people were testing with something called DNA urine testing technology. And um, I decided to go and try it. I, I've actually tried three companies. Microgen DX, um, Pathnostics, and Apiromics, they do DNA testing in the urine, and they picked up the pathogens in my bladder. So I had to fly to the States to find a urologist to do this for me, but eventually I found that I can do the kits um, at home in Canada. Like the kits can be fed up to me as long as I'm under a American doctor. That's great. You know, you sound great now, but I, I just want to uh, get across to the listeners just how debilitating this is and, and how depressing this is um, when you deal with um, it, any type of bladder pain or a resistant in, uh, infection, in your case, a bladder infection, um, where people are saying to you, this is your life. You are young. You are in a wheelchair for the rest of your life because of bladder pain. There's nothing we can do about it. I imagine that you um, got fairly down or depressed about this. And, and, and how far down did you go? Oh, my gosh. I was so depressed. Nobody had answers for me here. They said, we don't know what's wrong with you. Just go home. Um, I actually attempted two suicide attempts. I failed, but um, that's actually how severe it was at that point. I just felt like nobody would listen to me, like, Nobody had any answers for me, so I was so scared, and the pain was so severe. I was, I was urinating like every five to twenty minutes, like razor blades, hot, fiery, burning pee. It felt like a raging UTI. 
and then my bladder pain was so severe. It felt like it felt like my bladder was just being hammered constantly. I couldn't sleep. It was twenty four seven. So I got so depressed. I attempted suicide in June of two thousand eighteen, and then I attempted it suicide again in August two thousand and eighteen. Well, I'm so glad that they were both failed attempts because you're here to share your story, to tell your story, and and not just when uh, you a uh, person. You know, somebody out there might be listening. They may have another disease or medical condition where the doctors are saying, this is it, forget it, give up. But you didn't take that route. You decided to research it yourself, inspiring hope in so many people. So I'm so glad you're here and on the air to share the story. Um, And so this is now, how are you doing today? Um, Today I'm a lot better. I'm not cured yet. Um, I range around maybe 65% to 80% better. Um, It's much better than before. Like I can walk, I can shop, I can hang out with people, but eating is a huge challenge. I can eat maybe just on, you know, if I count with my hands, like I can only eat maybe about 10 foods that won't bring on an interstitial flare in my bladder. So that's you know, eating is a challenge. And so is that what you were ultimately diagnosed with, was interstitial cystitis? Yes. They said I had, I had different diagnoses. They said I had pelvic floor dysfunction. Another said I had interstitial cystitis. And another said I had bladder pain syndrome. And all this time, it started with a UTI. I knew it was still a UTI that just wasn't resolved properly. Right. And so is it kind, was it a, uh, a UTI that spurred that spurs on the interstitial cystitis for you? Is that your course? So when I did the DNA kits, um, it turned out to be an embedded UTI. So one of my GPs in Vancouver, thank goodness, he, he was really, you know, he listened to me on this. He said basically that bacteria had too much time like to colonize. So what happened was I was treated with antibiotics, but the course was too short. Like, I needed at least two weeks of antibiotics, but doctors were refusing to give me antibiotics. So I took some, and then the E. coli, that's what I have, at the time became antibiotic resistant. So that's what happened. And at the time, I didn't know. But after I took the DNA kit, it told me, oh, your E. coli is antibiotic resistant to this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, those were the antibiotics that I had taken but the courses were just too short. So my E. coli learned to evolve and get antibiotic resistant. Right. And then you um, ultimately ended up with interstitial cystitis, which is basically bladder pain syndrome. It's a type of chronic pain that affects the bladder. Yes. And some of the symptoms of that, uh, what are some of the symptoms of that? Um, oh, my gosh. I remember back then I was urinating. Oh my gosh, every five to 20 minutes, I couldn't sleep. And they weren't just, it was like razor blade burning drips of pee. And once I went pee, I would get off the toilet and feel like, oh my gosh, I have to pee again. And then eventually I started getting this pain in my bladder. It felt like, I could say like gnomes or goblin, little goblins jumping around inside your bladder. And then eventually it felt like I was being hammered, like a hammer was hitting at my bladder 24-7. It was crazy. Then eventually I got like this pelvic pain. It was radiating down my left thigh. And then it was also hurting on my, kind of like my right side near the abdomen. And then doctors were just saying, oh, you know, we don't know what to do. 
oh, it's so depressing. I can imagine many people, you, you also described urgency there, so this real urgency to uh, avoid, uh, and frequently, as you mentioned, and, and many women also experience pain with sex, whether it be during or after sex as well. And of course, interstitial cystitis or bladder pain syndrome is associated with depression and lower quality of life. It can impact a person's personal life, professional life, romantic life, relationships. Um, so it has a, a multifactorial effect. Um, but you have t- decided to educate people through your through your fabulous blog. Yeah, I was, oh my gosh, I was so mad. I was so angry at the doctors here that I just decided to start blogging. It originally started out as a journey of how I would try to figure this out. And then the blog just grew. I don't know how, but I started all these emails. But basically, I want to share everything I've been finding about how, like, you know, interstitial cystitis has many root causes, but they usually say there's no infection. But if it started with a UTI, most likely I can say that it is a UTI. And then so I've been dealing with, you know, a urologist in the States and another interstitial cystitis nurse. She's really famous for dealing with IC patients in the States. That's fantastic. And then another IC doctor in London who's been healing people, like, with IC, and they found out they do have um, UTI. And um, one of the blogs you wrote was what to do when a doctor doesn't believe you have a UTI. That can be such a, a frustrating situation um, that can lead to depression very easily. Um, you talk about how much water uh, we should be drinking um, and how, what you should eat um, in order to cure some of the symptoms. So it's a very informative um, blog. Uh, Vancouver UTI girl. And so I think it's, you know, we can say you're a, a quite a success story. Thank you. Um, yeah, like I just wanted to mention to people, you know, I listed a bunch of practitioners on my blog. So anyone who feels like they don't have hope in Canada, like, you know, if their doctors are not listening to you, um, because, uh, you know, I have to say Canadian healthcare is a little bit behind in terms of the interstitial cystitis field. So I listed several practitioners and doctors on my blog, you know, in the UK, in the States, and then they can try and figure out, you know, which doctor they want to go with. So these people will listen to us and figure it out, you know, like what what we have. And they go, they listen, they go further, and they try to find out, you know, if, if your interstitial cystitis is actually an embedded or colonized um urinary tract infection. Yeah, that's fantastic. And if there's any physicians out there listening (laughs) right now, perhaps you should go to this um, blog as well and you can learn from uh, some of the other practitioners out there or uh, see some of the practitioners, which is listed under the Who Can Help section of your blog, Lexi. Um, Yeah, so I really appreciate it because this can be a very frustrating um, issue. A lot of women that I see in my clinical practice who are um, 40 to 80 um, may also have bladder pain syndrome and sometimes localized estrogen will help them as well. They have a condition called genitourinary syndrome of menopause. Vancouver UTI girl, Lexi Fay, thank you so much for joining me tonight and educating uh, the listeners about uh, UTIs and chronic bladder pain. Okay, thank you for having me on your show. And t- oh, you're very welcome. And take care of yourself. Um, may you be 100% the next time we talk to you. 
You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.